Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor Ross and my lovely wife, Tracy. Ross, today we're talking, uh, we're in week number eight in our Pursuit series. Eight out of 12. We're getting, we're getting close to the end. It's been a long journey. It's been great. And today we're going to talk about everything we need for living a godly life. Why don't you set us up? What where are we in this journey, this full circle journey? There's three arrows in the picture, and uh, which arrow are we on here? Right, we're in the second arrow. We, we began by learning uh, what it means to trust Jesus. We start by trusting Jesus. That's how the, the Christian life begins. But that's not the, the finish line. So when we got to lesson six, my wife goes, okay, what series is next? <laughs> right. So she was looking at that as the culmination. That's really not the finish line. It's the starting the starting line. Yeah. Because now we go on and to say uh, we live the Christian life uh, to honor God by honoring God, and so that's what we're talking about now. And we have a verse in the Bible that ex- that sort of describes what this whole process of honoring God is all about. In Second Corinthians five verse seventeen, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So we're talking in this section about how to live that new life, how this new identity gets lived out. We talked about baptism last week, how that's a simple, easy, early way to honor God. And when you think about honoring God, you know, you think about obeying God, that can be kind of daunting. There's challenges involved in that. So today we're going to look at some of the encouragement that God gives us that this really is possible to live this way. Yeah, that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, is talking about this new nature that we have as Christians. So anyone who came to faith in Christ, trusted Jesus for salvation, it happened for me when I was six years old, something really important happens. We're going to talk about this today. You, you're, you have a new, God gives you a new nature. The problem is those old habits die hard. So so in a moment you're saved and you have a new nature, right? You've become a new person, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Begun. But some people might be saying, that's not what it looks like to my wife. Right. I still get angry. I still get frustrated. I still get short. So I guess some people might say, did it not take for me? Right? And Ross, what would you say to that theologically? It could, maybe it didn't take? No, it's, it's a process. It works out. The new identity works out. So God didn't just eradicate the old nature. He didn't just eradicate our sin. If he did, I think then we wouldn't learn to depend on him and walk closely with him every day because we're needy. We'd forget how needy we are. And so on an ongoing basis, we're learning how now this process of transformation, it, 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 there are some immediate things that happen within, but there's also this whole long lifetime of walking alongside uh, Jesus and, and putting into practice the things that gradually change our heart and our habits. Our heart is changed, but our habits don't change right away, and those things gradually change through the resources that God has given us. So Tracy, for some people, this might be a daunting task to say, well, what, well, okay, but I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can pull this off. How, where is my help going to come from you know, I've lived this, you know, maybe you think back to the list in week number four, the, the works of the flesh and all the stuff we listed off, you know, the sin nature that we have. And, and now what we're saying is you have a new nature. If you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, he gives you a new nature. But people are saying, how do I let that new nature work its way out of me, right? Some people might just feel a little bit hopeless. 
Well, like Ross said, it's about full dependence on God, taking this, our strength, our reorientation of life, right? We, we've talked about that idea of repentance, of turning away from our sin and our old way and orienting our life towards God. But the good news is God's given us three really key things we're going to touch on today that give us the strength and the insight and the ability and even the desire to want to live a life that honors God. You're not on your own. It's not just, it's not just you and your willpower to do it. Yeah, and we have a visual for you today. You're probably listening to this in your car, but I want you to imagine a three-legged stool. And like that's how it was built. It's a stool built with three legs. We're sitting on stools right now with four legs, but there is such a thing as a three-legged stool, kind of like a tripod, right? What we're going to talk about today is each one of these three legs is so important. You need to make sure that you understand all three of these things and have them working in your life if you want to honor God, if you want to live out this new person that you have become. And our, a theme verse for today's lesson is 2 Peter 1, 3. I love this verse. It's really an encouraging verse. It says, by his divine power, God is giving, has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I want to read that again because people need to hear that. I, this is a little bit of a motivational speaker uh, topic today. Like we're trying to encourage people. We're going to try to, you know, tell people they can do this. Mm -hmm. Like you can do this, right? So I want everybody to get like this picture of Matt Foley. If you remember that Matt Foley character from SNL. You know, he's just the motivational speaker. He's getting you geared up. And, and I want to read this verse again now. I'm not in my Matt Foley voice. I don't want to embarrass myself. But it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That's encouraging. Okay. And so when we look at that, we boil that down to three, these three things, these three legs of a stool and the first leg, the first thing that God has given us so that we could live a life that honors him, this is, I would say, the most important thing, is his spirit. God has given us his Holy Spirit as this new power source. Um, it's, it goes beyond our own willpower. It's about his, his power working from the inside out, not from the outside in. And Tracy, we have some scripture that really sets this whole thing up. Okay, from 1 Peter 1, 2, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And then what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1, where he says that he, he identified you by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago, that promise can be seen in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. This is in the Old Testament. It says there, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking to his people. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Ross, help explain this to somebody who's new to this concept. This sounds really weird. This sounds a little mystical to think that God's spirit is in us as Christians. What exactly does that mean? 
Well, first of all, important to understand that the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of force or divine power that's imparted to us. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he's a divine person, the third person of the, of the triune God. And so, but that the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that engages and interacts with, with God's people on a day-to-day basis. Uh, because he's not embodied, he's able to be with us, to live in us, so to speak, um, and he's able to then empower us moment by moment throughout the day. And so, God, so in a shorthand, you could say God Himself is living with us and in us uh, to empower us to do what we really want to do at the ultimately at the bottom of our hearts. We want to honor God. So, what what, what was going on inside of us before we became Christians? Well, we still have. Um, there's nothing divine, let's put it that way. We have our own nature. Our, the nature that we were born with is corrupted. Unfortunately, we talked about some time ago um, about how we were made in God's image, but we've fallen and sin entered the world. And, and so we have this corrupted internal nature. So humanity, uh, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God, has this inherent bent away from God that's going to pull us away from God's will, pull us away from relationship with Him. And so in the New Testament, it calls it the sinful nature. We re- read in Ezekiel, it calls this stony heart, mm. this, uh, this old nature that, that's not receptive to God. Now that stays. That, that's not removed until we go to heaven. But what God does is put His Spirit in there within us along, so it creates the conditions for us to be able to obey God. It, we're going to see in a little while, it also creates some in, inherent internal conflict. That, uh, but, but the promise is the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the old nature, and, than the sinful heart. Yeah, Galatians 5 explains it like this. Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's what we're talking about today, right? That's the first leg of the, of the stool. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So, so right, like you said, Ross, apparently we have a new nature in us. The Holy Spirit gives us this new nature, but that old nature is still hanging around, right? The vestiges of the old nature, mm-hmm. it's still there. And so Paul says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And so these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, this sounds familiar. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. Someone came to faith a couple weeks ago, maybe a few years ago, maybe when they were a kid, but they say, so what gives? Why is it that I still have more sinful nature in my life than the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Right? Because Paul says later in that, in that passage, he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you can go back to week four where we talked about the acts of the sinful nature, and he was talking about sexual immorality and impurity and division and, and jealousy and anger and the kind of stuff that we all struggle, not all of it we struggle with, but a lot of it we struggle with. So someone might look at those two lists and say, so why is it that I've got more of the sinful nature than the Holy Spirit. What's going, what's going on there? Yeah, so what I would say is it's, we have to choose which, which one we're going to pay more attention to, which one we're going to be obedient to. You know, Jesus talks time again how we see that, that love, our love for him, our devotion is through obedience. And so we get to choose. Am I going to 
Am I going to have a heart that's tender towards God and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to grow those things in me, those fruits of the Spirit? Or am I going to continue to align with that old stony heart that wants to do things my own way or wants to hang on to sin patterns, um, thinking that's going to be the better solution in my life? Yeah, let me, Ross, let me read this passage from the end of Galatians 5. Again, if people really want to try to understand what we're talking about, read Galatians 5. It really, Paul really starts to put his finger on some of this, and Galatians was the first letter that Paul wrote. He talks about it more in some of his other letters like Romans, but here's what he says in Galatians 5, verse 24. He says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And then he says in verse 25, Ross, this is the one I want you to explain. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Another translation says, you should walk by the Spirit, right? What does that mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, uh, first of all, I just as you're reading the, the fruit of the Spirit, I thought, what a great summary statement that is of what it means to honor God in your life. Right. And I love that the power of that is it's not a checklist. It's internal qualities that the Holy mm. Spirit wants to produce in us, because we're always prone to like reduce the, the Christian life to a checklist. So that's really cool. The other thing that strikes me is here that, that the Christian life is a supernatural life. It can't be lived without divine resources like as the Holy Spirit brings. But, but to your question, where it says um, in, in verse 16 we read, let the Spirit guide your life. And here it says, you know, walk by the, or keep in step with the Spirit. And, and what that means, so like, like the Holy Spirit wants, wants us to go a certain direction, let's say to follow the left-hand fork, and our sinful nature within us wants us to follow the right-hand fork into those deeds and so forth. And so I have to decide moment by moment throughout the day that I'm going to walk where the Holy Spirit is leading me. So um, I, when I was in high school, I was in the marching band, okay, and when we were doing a football halftime show or, or we were uh, marching in a parade, you had to stay in line, and, and your, your lines were, you were judged on how clean your lines and how straight they were. And so you're watching on, on, a, on a parade, you're watching forward, you're watching under your feet to make sure you don't step where the horses were a few minutes ago. <laughs> but you're also watching out of the corner of your eye the whole time you're watching the person to your right, the person to your left because you're going to keep in step with the person. And so the, your right foot goes ahead when their right foot goes ahead. Your left foot goes back when their left foot goes back. And you're staying um, in line together. So I thought that was a good analogy of what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. So I'm always keeping an eye on what the Spirit is saying to me. I'm always keeping uh, a track of what He wants me to, so that I'm, so I'm not straying off into some other you know, uh, direction when I turn left, the rest of the marching band goes forward, you know. So, so that helps me to understand. It's just a mindfulness and awareness moment by moment with each step of, of where we're going next. Okay, so let's say that one Christian says, I feel like the Spirit is leading me to go this way. And another person says, no, I think the Holy Spirit is leading me to go this way. And this is what's going to lead to the second leg in the stool. Because, because I think a lot of times Christians, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes not, have used language like, I'm just, trying, I'm just following the Spirit. They've you've used language like that to justify doing things that are clearly not what God wants. And that's the second leg of, of, the, 
of the stool. The first leg is God's spirit. The second leg is God's word. We need a new way to think, and the Bible guides us. The Bible shows us the attitudes and actions that honor God. The Bible is, a, is our guide as Christians, and there's so much that the Bible already lays out for us when it comes to knowing how to, um, knowing how to honor God in our lives. So, for example, Ross, I, I've, I've heard people say, young people say, no, I think it's okay for me to sleep with my girlfriend before we're married because I just I, it feels right to me. And we, of course, Tracy, we would throw a flag at that and we would say, well, it's, it's not right. And the reason we can say that is because that's an area where God's word is really clear. And so we need to submit to, everyone needs to submit to God's word. The Holy Spirit is not going to contradict his, the Holy Spirit's inspired word, the word of God. Yeah, you know, I think we just have to be honest with ourselves that we don't over-spiritualize when we're walking by the spirit that we have to be honest that we might try to manipulate that with our feelings, kind of like to that example you gave, like, well, this is how I feel. I feel like this must be God. God gave me this feeling, right? So I'm going to go with that. That's why it's important then to kind of balance that, that flesh nature that we have to want to go our own way, that tendency towards that, that sin nature that's still in us to then make sure that whatever that feeling is or whatever that leading that we're talking about aligns with God's word. That's why that second um, leg of the stool is important to balance those things out, those internal internal things that we might be thinking and feeling. Well, let's make sure that it doesn't violate God's word. Yeah. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, Ross, next week we'll talk more about the spiritual discipline of Bible study. We're not going to get into the details of that at, right now in this lesson. But for now, what I want to do is I want to look at that passage. Let, let's, Ross, maybe you can help us break this down. Because the Bible, this is a guy's word, and I'm not to be sexist here, but you know, guys love practical stuff. And Paul says the Bible is useful. And it's not just a thing to be put on your shelf and collect dust. It's useful in your life, in your family. It's useful in, at work. It's useful in every area of your life. And it's useful for four things. Ross, walk us through those. Yeah, it talks about uh, teaching us what's true, realizing what's wrong, correcting us, and teaching to do what's right. And so each one of those things, is a, there's a different nuance to each one of those. So number one, you know, teaching us what's true. Well, the Bible imparts the truth. It is the truth. It's God's truth. So if I have a question about what behavior is allowable or what belief is correct or not, the Bible's going to lay down kind of the, the straight path for me on that regard. It's going to tell me, okay, it's not, it's not um, right to... Um, sleep with someone that you're mm -hmm. not married to. And then it's going to rebuke me, and that, that's like when I, I'm on the wrong path, it's going to say, whoa, stop, you know, wait, don't go any farther, it's the warning. And, and I've experienced, and maybe you guys have too, where you're reading the Bible and suddenly it just stabs you. You know, you just get stabbed, you go, oh no, oh my gosh, I, had no, I didn't realize, mm -hmm. and it's con and convicted mm -hmm. of, of something that's wrong, or I go like, oh, I, I didn't realize that, now I know. And then it corrects me by showing me the right path, the direction that I should be going, 
And the, the fourth thing, training, is going to keep me on the path. It's gonna, it teaches us to do what's right. Once we kind of know the path and it's been set forward, then it kind of helps us, the Bible, the words of Scripture, help us to move down that path and to implement what uh, God has said is true and real. And yet there are so many Christians who never read their Bible, and, and when they listen to a sermon, they'll take the parts that they like, and they'll reject the parts that they don't like. They, they know what God's Word has to say, but they say, that's all right, I'm going I'm to do, do it my way instead. And Jesus had something to say about it. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Mm-hmm. Man, I hope this, uh, this convicts some people driving down the road right now. It should really convict all of us, because none of us is perfectly obedient to Jesus. But he says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, but yet you don't do what I say? Man, that is so descriptive of so many Christians in the church today. And Jesus says this, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Really simple. I'll show you what it's like. Here it is. It's like a person building a house who digs a deep, who digs deep and lays the foundation on a solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. So what is the rock that the house is standing on? Jesus is teaching. Another way to say that is God's word, right? Because we believe that God, the whole Bible is inspired by God and that all of it, including everything Jesus said, that all of it is God's word. And that's the foundation that we need to build our lives on. Yeah, and I just think to stop for a second and to think about from the previous lessons and the goodness of God that would send Jesus to die for us. So so the our salvation, how we're saved, that we can look at that and say God is a good God, um, that he gave us this gift that we couldn't earn, that we don't deserve, just purely by his love and his grace. So then once we understand and receive that gift, the attitude can't be then towards his word or to his standard or to his best for us to say, I don't trust that you're that good God, that I would submit my life to you or follow your rules or go by the, the life plan, so to speak, that you have, that you refer to in your word. You know, Paul says in Romans 6, I love that, that we become, to the pattern of teaching, we become loyal or pledge our allegiance to God, that we're obedient to him, that we give our, we pledge our allegiance to God's way, to the patterns of his teachings. And so as Christians, we need to come to his word and not just say, "Mm, I like this. I'm going to keep, yep, saved by grace, (laughs) not by works. I'm keeping that. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to maybe some lifestyle choices or some other sin patterns in our life, we're going to say, I don't trust that God's good enough to tell me that's wrong. I'm going to keep doing that. And that, that's really a great point, and it ties in with this story in Luke, because Jesus is he's not saying, hey, do what I say because I'm the boss, mm-hmm. um, or because I want to control you, or whatever. He said, look, you want to have a stable life, the life that works, a life that's not falling apart all the time. It's useful. You know, it's useful, yeah. like, you, like we saw in Timothy, yeah. So Jesus says, here's how to have the best kind of life. I mean, how many, how many of us know people whose lives are falling apart all the time? And Jesus says, here's how to have a life that's grounded. Well, it's by putting into practice what he says. And that's, so that's a gracious gift. Who doesn't want that kind of life? Well, and we, as parents, we see that. We know that we know better than our kids. And when we give them rules, it's because we want to give them a good foundation. We're doing it for their good, not because we want to be tyrants or 
we're obeyed, right? We're doing it for their good. We love them. And yet it's so funny that we as adults, when we, we can't, we, it's, it's so many Christians have a hard time seeing God that way, that we, we sort of stand up against God's commandment when we don't like it, just like our kids do for us. But then at some point down the road, right, Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And that, that's, that way is the old nature, like Paul says in Galatians, that way is is sin. It's it's following our opinions and feelings over God's truth, and we think we know better than God, and so we. It's so hard for Christians. So really, our message for a big part of our message today is honoring God's honoring God in your life as a Christian means submitting to His Word, being obedient to His Word, and letting Him be Lord of your life, not just to be Savior of your life. Right? He says, Jesus said, "You, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when, when I'm not your Lord? Mm-hmm. I'm your Savior. You let me save you a couple weeks ago when we talked about being saved by grace. Thank you for that gift. But you're, but you're not letting me be the Lord of your life. You're not letting me really call the shots in your life. You want to call the shots. Mm-hmm. But I want to I pivot just for a second here because this whole time we've been talking about sin and we've been talking about honoring God in the context of choosing to do the right thing instead of sinning, right? Choosing the fruit of the spirit instead of the acts of the flesh. But, but let's just pause for a moment and talk about this in the context of discerning the will of God. So how do I, how do I know God's will? And this is where God's word is so important. Romans 12, two says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, which is really interesting that he would say that. Like, you need to learn how to think right. Of course, how do you think right if you don't know God's word, God's commandments? He says, when you change the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So God's word isn't just helpful in terms of not sinning and trying to honor God with your lifestyle choices. It's also helpful if you're out there saying, I need to know what God wants me to do in my life. I need to know about who I should marry or what job I should take, or should I go into ministry? Or, you know, so many people have this question, how can I discern God's leading? Well, that's where these three legs of the stool fit in as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting in Romans 12, back to the original question you asked earlier, Brian, about why isn't this new life being more manifest in, in my daily experience? You know, why, why am I not winning the battle every day? Well, this tells us one reason why, that if we're just copying the behavior and customs of the world, if we're not changing how we think, then we're going to be tied to that old way of thinking, acting, and doing things. So the Word of God has the power to begin changing how we think and how we assess every life situation, what we want to do about it, and so the whole thought process guided by the Word of God is really a powerful way that moves us into the new way of life. And again, we'll get practical in the next lesson where we talk about five spiritual disciplines. Spoiler alert, one of them is Bible study. We're going to dig into that. We're going to share our examples of how we do that in our lives in a practical level. So we'll save that for next time. But, but so far now we have two legs of the three-legged stool. We've talked about God's Spirit. We've talked about God's Word. And there's one more thing that we need if we want to really honor God every day, if we want to do well at this, and it is God's people. We need a new community. We don't just need a new power source, the Spirit. We don't just need a new way to think. 
we need a new community. We can't live this new life of honoring God on our own. Other believers help us to stay on the right path, both one-on-one, we're going to talk about that for a minute, and then also how the local church fits into it. Tracy, let's start with the one-on-one thing. Galatians 6, why don't you read that for us and explain what that's talking about. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. To me, that's just such a beautiful picture of what Paul is describing here, of when you see a person that you know has professed their faith in Jesus, but they're stuck in this sin pattern, that part of our role in other believers' lives is to come alongside them. And notice the words that Paul uses, gently and humbly, right? That I don't come with a self-righteous attitude of like, oh, gee, what must that be like for you to struggle with sin? I don't know what that is, right? That you come to that person gently and humbly and help them, restore them, remind them of God's teachings, remind them of what God's best is for them, help them to see that that pattern, that sin that they're fighting and and losing that battle to at the time to bring them back into repentance and to new life in Christ. Yeah, and I think about this in our own marriage. Well, even before we got married, you did this for me. When I think of this verse, you come to mind, Tracy, because there was that time where I where I was kind of judgmental in my heart toward some friends of ours who, who were enjoying a beer, and I grew up in a church that, <laughs> that taught that beer is off-limits, um, and Ross, I know you're a, a beer drinker, so I, you're probably just shaking your head at me right now. But this is what I grew up with, which is actually a good example for today's topic because, because I had to, what you did is you called me out. You said, you, you, you gently and humbly called me out and said, you challenged me on my perspective because they weren't getting drunk. They were just enjoying a beer. But I had judgment in my heart toward them because I had the wrong thinking about it. So you, you called me out, so God's people helped me, and then you called me back to God's Word. You said, show me in God's Word, and I couldn't. So I, real, I had to realize I was wrong, right? And then thank, thank God for His Holy Spirit who convicted me of it. It wasn't just up to you or God's Word even. God's Spirit then convicted me, and I realized that I was wrong. And thank God for that because that helped me kind of get back on the right path that maybe that's a not as severe as a, of an example as some other people might have but for me that's a that's been a pretty big example in my life yeah and thankfully you probably haven't had to correct him in the last 30 years since exactly. then right that's right that's that was it. a la- was the thing. one and only time that's right thank you Ross for admitting that but it's not okay so it's not just the one-on-one part of this having people having confidants and mentors and pastors and parents in our lives who can call us out. And hopefully you have someone in your life that'll do it gently. I was just going to say that. I think yeah. that's a key here. If that's the third leg, if you're a follower of Jesus and you just kind of live in isolation, you're not plugged into a local church, you're not in relationship with other believers, then boy, is that just a dangerous breeding ground for you to kind of get stuck back in those old patterns and going and walking more and aligning more with the flesh. Like we need people like that first example in Galatians, you have to be in relationship with people. They have to know what's going on in your life or else someone can't walk with you and humbly and gently lead you on the right path. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it's, so it's not just the one-on-one, you know, when I, we think of the third leg being God's people, it's not just 
one-on-one relationships, even though we're really passionate about that. Obviously, the Pursue God resources are all about empowering one-on-one disciple-making. But it's also, I think, it's also talking about the local church. It's also talking about God's people in a local church body that that help us to honor God in community with them. Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So this is just one of several um, spiritual gift lists in the New Testament, Ross. But to me, what I think what it's saying, the overall, the overall big idea of any of these gifts, gift lists is God has given individuals spiritual gifts for the edification, for the growth, for the help of the whole body. Yeah, it just goes again to show how much we need each other. We need, there's certain things in here that, that I don't have inherent in myself. And if I'm not connected with other people, I'm not going to receive the benefit from when I need encouragement or teaching or when I need someone to show me some kindness or, or whatever it might be here. Um, I've got to be connected and we need each other because none of us is complete in and of ourselves. And so it gets, it's really God's genius design. Um, and, and again, it's his gracious gift to us to put us in a family, to put us in community so that we can honor him with our lives. So what do you say to the person, and we've met a lot of people like this, what do you say to the person who says, I have God's spirit in me, I'm a Christian, I have his word, I have his Bible, I don't need the church. You know, the mountains are my church, or, or going on a bike ride is my church, or going on a run is my church, or my family is my church. What, what do you say to someone like that? Can they, can they honor God? Are they able to honor God? Well, within limits, first of all, I would say you have your Bible, but you must not be reading it or listening to it because it's the Bible that sets up the whole community. The Bible is just full of, of statements in the New Testament of one another, you know, love one another, serve one another, share one another's burdens. As we just read, there's 21 to 24 different statements in the New Testament with different verbs in there, um, you know, all the things that we need from each other. So if you're actually reading your Bible and taking it seriously, then you'll realize that this really is God's design for you. Yeah, one of the most insightful statements I heard in the last 20 years was from one of our pastors. He, He said, you can't fully honor God in isolation. You, and he, he was mentioning those one another commands, and I don't remember how many, how many 24, 25, mm-hmm. one another commands. He said, you can't, you can't obey the one another commands in isolation. Right. You need God's people. And of course, there are different forms of the local church. It doesn't have to be the church your mom and dad grew up in. It doesn't have to look like, a, but there, it might be a house church, it might be a mega church, it might be a multi-site church. But you should be a part of God's people. It's so important. Tracy, for us, that's important for us when we think about our kids. We want to make sure our kids, we've taught our kids this lesson about God's spirit and God's word, and both of our kids get that. But I'm really proud that our kids get this other thing because now they've moved out of the house, and both of our kids are plugged into the local churches that they've found where they live now. 
Yeah, and again, I think like we're saying, if we're supposed to love God and love people, then we just need to be careful that our pursuit of God doesn't just become about ourselves, that the way to love others is to serve. It's to tell to teach them as the great commission tells us to go and share what I've taught you with others. So if we don't have connection to people, um, then we're not we're not able to fulfill some of those commands. And it just kind of goes back to obedience. Like God's part of God's design, Ross, like you said, is that we're to be in community. So we're missing a big piece of the puzzle if we just kind of make our pursuit of God just our own thing in isolation or in, soli- in solitude. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a piece here that people need you. They need your gifts. They need your wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You need them and they need you. Yeah. Okay, so I want to go back and, and close with the verse of the day one more time because I think there's one more thing to make sure is clear to everybody. Second Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life, honoring God, the second arrow of that circle. And I want to point out these three things, God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. These are all gifts from God. It's, I think it's really important for us to remember that we start a relationship with God by grace. Right? We talked about that in the first six weeks of this series, that we're saved by grace, purely f- by grace. It's God's gift to us. But, but now that we're going on to the next thing, on learning to honor God, living to honor God, we don't accomplish that any differently. We still accomplish that by God's grace because these are his gifts. God has given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. These are gifts of his to us, pure gifts, so that we can live to honor God. But it's all from him. It's none, none of this is from us. We don't want people to walk away from here saying, here's my checklist now. I want to get better at these things. I'm going to pat myself on the back. And, and, I, and what was started by grace can be ended by works. That's just not, that's not how it happens. We start by grace and we live by grace. All of it is a gift from God. Now, if you want to talk more about this with your small group, with your mentor, with your family, you can find this. This is lesson eight in the Pursuit series. You can find it all at pursuegod.org forward slash go. And make sure to join us next week as we talk about five spiritual habits that every single Christian should be exercising. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.